listening to sermons from South Point McDonough, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. Point, and this morning we're in part two um, in an annual series. We take three weeks to uh, go back and just remind ourselves of who we are and remind you of who we are. And uh, what we preach in this series every year is always the same thing because what we are when we say we are South Point is what Scripture says we are supposed to be. That is where our commitment is. And there is this tendency and this temptation to be lured away or to veer away or to try to figure out how to be more successful or how to be more popular or how to please men. And we don't want to do that. We want to please and honor God. And so we every year want to come back and say, we are south. We want to stay in these ruts that Scripture has provided for us and not veer away from them at all. And so last week we looked at um, at part one from Colossians 1. Our heartbeat is knowing more about Jesus, and I would add to that, and knowing Jesus more. And I want you to think this morning about your relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't want you to think about your relationship with the church. I don't want you to think about your relationship to uh, perhaps some ritual or something that you've done. People would say, well, yeah, I know Jesus. I've been baptized. Or, yeah, I know Jesus. I take communion. Or, yes, I know Jesus. I'm a member of the church. I I want you to kind of set those aside for a minute. I I want you to think about the person of Jesus Christ. Do you know him? You know people. You know about some people. You know some people personally. Do you know Jesus Christ? And so at South Point, and we sit in Colossians 1, our heartbeat is knowing more about Jesus. This morning we're in Colossians chapter 3, and, and here's the conclusion we want to come to at the end of, of, um, of this passage as we look at it. Community is how we live together. Community is how we live together. We're looking at 17 verses in Colossians chapter 3. But we're going to, be, we're going to begin with this thought of Christ being our, our life. And I want you to answer this question, what is your life? And this was something that Jesus uh, brought up a good bit. In, in fact, in Matthew chapter 6, he says, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Now, we're worried about our life in 2021, aren't we? We're worried about our life. We're worried about our life. We're consumed with it. I don't know what they were facing in the first century. I did a little uh, Google search and You'll be pleased to know I got something came across my phone this morning that said I've been averaging 39 minutes a day on screen time. And I'm just like, that sounds pretty good to me. I'm going to send that to my wife. She's always accusing me of being on my phone. And it's not near as bad as she has made out like it was. Amen? Um, and, and so I looked up what were they dealing with. They were dealing with all sorts of things. Imagine a plague where, where millions of people are killed. Uh, imagine sicknesses that they have uh, no cure for. When we were in Africa, we would take a five-cent tube of ISAV and give it to the Karamajong people. And if they used that, it would keep them from going blind. And many of them were struggling with eyesight. And, and so there are a lot of things that have happened through the ages. But Jesus is coming to these people who have, who, they don't have antibiotics. They don't have cures. They don't have doctors. They don't have ERs. They don't have all the hopes that we have for sustaining life. And then Jesus is coming to them and saying, don't be anxious about your life. It's not life more than food in the body, more than clothing. And then in, in Luke chapter 12, an interesting conversation, the, the, the rich fool who thought that his life consisted of accumulation and getting more and more and more. Jesus said, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And, and then Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 16, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What will you give in exchange for your life? What is your life worth? When we look at this text, 
we're going to see this allusion to Christ being our life. And if Christ is our life, it changes everything. So let's look at Colossians chapter 3. And I want to begin reading in verse number 1 of Colossians 3. He says, if, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above. He's giving us this contrast here. It's important. Not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Verse 5, put to death, therefore, because Christ is your life, put to death things that aren't life. Because Christ is your life, be involved in this aggressive, in, intentional movement toward things that aren't life, that are death. Stop looking for life in death. Stop looking for life on earth. Stop looking for life in the things that are on the earth. This is what he's saying, verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly. What am I going to do? Go start burning things down? No. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. The problem is inside of me. The earthly things that are living inside of me. And he, he lays them out for us. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. When you found life in them. When you thought these things were what life was about. When you thought these things gave you life, you lived in them. But now you must put away, put, put them, listen, put them all away. <laughs> put them all away. In an, in an age of warped grace, we stay in our sin and we run to the pitcher of grace. We don't, we, don't, we don't try to put our sin away. We don't try to put our sin to death. We don't try to put our sin off. And we just run to this, this pitcher of grace. I'm going to stay in my sin. Just pour some more grace on me. He's saying, no, you've got grace. Therefore, grace is telling you where life is. And there are things that aren't life, that are death. Put them off so that you can experience life in Christ. And these things you too once walked when you found life in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self. By the way, every one of these is an act of relational violence. Every one of these is a violation of of the way God created us in Genesis. Every one of these is uh, um, a, a virus that has infected us since the fall. And so he, he's telling us these things, you have to put them off. This is relational violence. We are trying to kill one another relationally. And you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all when the people of God gather, all of our differences are at very best on, uh, uh, in a secondary standing because Christ is all and Christ is in all. That's who we are as the people of God. It's about Christ. Christ is our life. Verse 12, he now moves it into how we interact. He said, there are these interactions between us relationally that are essentially relational violence. You put that off. But now we're going to restore what was lost in the fall relationally. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. Something's got to happen on the inside of us. We've got to have a new heart. David said, create in me a clean heart, Psalm 51. Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. What is that? It's the fruit of the Spirit. 
The Spirit is living in us, and now as we relate to one another, the fruit of the Spirit is flowing out of us in our relationships, now as opposed to life extracting, life manipulating, the objectification of people. Now we're in these relationships where life is flowing between us as we relate to one another in community. Meekness and patience, the fruit of the Spirit. Verse 13, bearing with one, with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, just get even with him by God. <laughs> That's what we do. You hurt me, I'll hurt you back. Why are you mad at them? Because they hurt me. What do you think you're doing by being mad at them and angry at them? I'm hurting them back, at least in the courtroom of my mind. But the text is saying there's something completely different if one has a comp Bearing with one another... That, that means when you bear something, there is a weight on you that you carry. I just don't like them. <laughs> oh, they just get on my nerves. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, tell everybody. No, he says forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you. Can I, can, I just let you know, can I just let you know how the Lord has forgiven you? At, at my last church, there was a guy who said, I don't have to forgive anybody until they ask me. Why in the name of God, why in the world would anybody want to take that posture of saying, I don't have to forgive anybody until they ask me? I'm like, that, not, not, only is that, not only is that jacked up biblically, that's just jacked up common sense. What in the world, why in the world would we want to say, I've been offended and I'm going to hang on to it and I'm not going to release it and I'm going to let it eat my guts out until you ask me to forgive you and then I'll release it. That is not the way Christ forgave us, but God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While I was in my sin, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, laid down his life 2,000 years ago before I even acknowledged that he existed. My sin debt was paid in full when Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary. We in this body don't have the option of hanging on to things. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called into one body, the church. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. All of these things that he's listed here of God's people gathering in community and relating to one another on the basis of the filling of the Spirit in their lives is a means of the outpouring of grace. Us gathering here today is a means of an outpouring of grace. You say, what does that mean? I don't know what it means. You need to talk to somebody smarter than me. I don't have everything figured out. I don't have answers for everything. But I just know when people who have the Spirit in them get together with other people that have the Spirit in them, that God is in our presence, that God is in our midst, that Christ is in us, Colossians 1, 27, and God is then doing something in those people and pouring out grace on those people and facilitating and stimulating spiritual growth and life in the hearts of those people. Anyway, I've already preached the text. Now let me preach the text. Number one, verses one to four. Life can only be found in Christ. Let me ask some questions of the text that we just read. How do we find life in Christ? Number one, we find life in Christ when we stop looking for life in dead religion. That's what he said in chapter two. He's got all of these things. He said, let no one disregard you. Let no one pass judgment on you. All of these feasts, all of these different things, all of these visions, all of this worship of angels, you can read chapter 2 and you can see it. He's saying all of these are manifestations of dead religion. He said in Colossians chapter 1, what is this mystery? What is this secret that now is known? It's Christ in you. He said, don't let anybody steal that from you. Don't get wrapped up in dead 
religion. How do we find life in Christ? Stop looking for life in dead religion. Secondly, stop looking for life in things on earth. If you'll look at the text, he said, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Stop looking for life in things on the earth. What if you lost everything? You'd be like, my life is over. <laughs> what if you lost your job? My life is over. I'll be 63 in November, and I'm hoping I can hang on to 67 to start drawing Social Security. Do you think Social Security is going to be there? I don't think so. Is my life going to be over? What if the government, as they have the right to do, start confiscating retirement accounts? They can do that, by the way. Oh, no, they can't do that. Yes, they can. I'm not trying to scare you, but is that where your life is? Where's your life? Where's your life? He's dealing in the text with things that are happening internally and relationally. How do we find life in Christ? We must be raised with Christ. And he explains that in chapter 2, beginning in verse 10. He says, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by the putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Because Christ is resurrected from the dead, victorious over sin, we now no longer have to die for our sin. But our death, according to 1 Corinthians 15, is a, is a, is a, a, a putting off of the mortality so that we can put on immortality. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the, the cross. I just had to swallow there. I'm not fixing to do anything crazy. How do we find life in Christ? We must be raised with Christ. Secondly, what do we see in the text as well in verses 1 to 4? Since you have been raised with Christ, some things are true of you. First of all, your life is hidden with Christ and God. And secondly, Christ is your life. And I don't have time to deal with it this morning, but if you even go through the book of Colossians and, and notice all of the Christ statements, they're putting Christ at the center of the church and they're putting Christ at the center of the life of the believer. Don't, don't miss that. Some things are true of us. Thirdly, under life can be found only in Christ. Since you have been raised with Christ, some things are required of you and me. Some things are required of us. He says it in the text, seek the things that are above. Let me just deal with the word seek. The word seek is, is in the present tense. That means it is continuous action. It means keep on seeking. Don't stop seeking. Don't let anything interrupt you seeking. Seeking Christ should be the habit of your life. It's also in the active voice, which means that it is a choice of your will. God in his sovereignty will not force you to seek him. That's why he's commanding believers to seek him. Seek the things which are above Whatever we are immersed, immersed in right now is a product of what we have chosen to seek. Whatever we are immersed in right now, whatever your search engine says, and you can read it for the whole week, those are the things that you are seeking. Whatever your channel recall tells you on your, your cable box, that or the, those are the things that you have been seeking. Whatever your checkbook tells you, those are the things that you have been seeking. Active voice, choice of the will, present tense. We should continually be choosing to seek. It's also in an imperative mood, which it, 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 is, it is command. He is commanding us to be preoccupied, to be consumed with seeking Christ. But it's also a recurring theme in Scripture over and over and over again. We are taught, told to seek the Lord. We are told to seek Christ throughout Scripture. He said, seek. Seek what? The things that are above. I love Colossians chapter 1 and verse 5. 
I'll begin in verse 3. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Why? Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Seek those things which are above. Why should I seek the things which are above? Because my hope is laid up for me in heaven. There is nothing on this world that is worthy of me putting my hope in. It is only going to disappoint my hope. What a low goal, what a low aim to hope for things on the earth. I'm to hope in things above. But, but, but Paul, could you be more specific? And he is. Where Christ is, the text says, ultimately and essentially, the thing that I am seeking, the thing that I am consumed with, is I am seeking Christ. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. It is personal, relational knowledge. But he's not only telling us to seek Christ, but he's telling us to seek Christ who is seated at the right hand of the Father. Let me tell you how we should seek Christ. First of all, we should seek a seated Christ. You say, what do you mean by seeking a seated Christ? What I mean by that is Jesus Christ finished the work of redemption and sat down. What does that mean? That means that the work of Christ is sufficient for my salvation. Therefore, when I seek a seated Christ, I'm going to Christ so that I can find my rest in him because he has already done all of the work. That's what faith means. So I'm seeking Christ who is seated, who has completed, who has finished, and the work of redemption is done. And if you're not trusting him this morning, I just want to beg you to trust Christ. He has paid it all. When we sing, Jesus paid it all, there's nothing else that you have to pay. He paid it all. But not only is he seated, he's seated at the right hand. Jesus Christ is in authority. He said in Matthew 28, All authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. All authority has been given to me everywhere. So, so when I'm seeking Christ, not only am I resting in his finished work, but I'm willingly surrendering to him and his purpose for my existence. So there is, a, there is a, the aspect of surrender. But I also understand that Christ is seated at the right hand and he's seated on a throne. And I also understand Hebrews chapter 4 tells me this is the throne of grace. Hebrews chapter 4 says, I can come boldly to the throne of grace. What does that mean? That means that I am welcomed into the presence of God the Father because of the finished work of God the Son. And when I go to this throne of grace, there is, there is mercy being poured out. There is help being poured out. There is this relational beauty that is unmatched. There is nothing that we have experienced relationally, experientially. There is nothing that this earth can provide you or promise you that can match the relational beauty that we have in Jesus Christ. And so he's saying, you seek Christ who is who is. In heaven, seek Christ who is, is seated because his work is finished. Seek, seek Christ who is at the right hand of the Father. He is the one who is in all authority. Seek Christ who sits on a throne of grace and welcomes you into this beautiful relationship with himself and with God the Father. And, and then since you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, but also look forward to the physical return. Look forward to the appearing. Look forward to the revelation of Jesus Christ. I'm not living for this earth or for what I can look forward to on this earth. I'm looking up to heaven and looking forward to seeing Christ face to face, to seeing my Lord face to face, to seeing the one who died for me in my place face to face, to seeing one who is going to look at me and I will see love in his eyes and I will see love in his countenance and I will hear love in his voice and I will hear acceptance. In fact, Colossians 1 tells me that he qualified me. Look, look at Colossians 1. Um, I'm, I'm, trying, I'm trying to find it. Listen to this verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints and light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. This is the one who is there. This is the one that I'm looking forward to. And this changes everything. 
And in these verses, Paul just reiterates it again. Not only seek the things that are above, but set your mind on things above. And he draws a line. He says, no, we're not going to mix these things up. We're not going to mix the, the world. We're not going to mix the things of the world. We're not going to mix this heart condition of men who are lost without Christ in with knowing Christ. He said, seek the things which are above. Don't seek the things which are on the earth. And he's going to tell us what's on the earth. And it's a messed up way of relating that many of us are quite frankly, all too accustomed to. You cannot set your minds on things above and things on the earth at the same time. This is life. This is not life. That's what he's telling us. The second thing we see in the text is verses 5 to 11. The first thing we saw is this. Life can only be found in Christ But secondly, we cannot find life in anything on this earth. We cannot find life in anything on this earth. There are certain earthly, fleshly characteristics that are prevalent, that are active, that are pervasive, that are dominant, that are earthly, that are alive, that are in us, that are in our head, that are in our heart, that are in our soul, and they will dominate and destroy us if we do not intentionally and aggressively deal with them. And if you will look at verse 5, he says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly, where? In you. There is something wrong inside of us. We have believed the world's lie. The world's lie is lodged in our heart and in our minds and in our affections. We set our affections and minds on the things of the world as though the things of the world are life-giving. And it ultimately ends up in us trying to find life in relational violence, in abuse, in indifference, in disregarding people, in objectifying people, in manipulating people, in relating physically and not emotionally and spiritually. And it's a denial of three things. What we see in verses 5 to 11 is a denial of three things. Number one, it is a denial of how we were created. Ladies and gentlemen, we were created for intimacy and particularly for intimacy in community where we give our lives to the people in that community sacrificially. It is not good to be alone and it is not good to live for me alone. It isn't. Our lives are to be laid down. Our lives are to be given up. It is destructive to be alone. It is destructive to live for yourself. And so when he gives us this list of things that we are to be putting to death, that we are to be putting off, that we are to be putting away from us, they are a denial of how we were created. And here's what I want you to know. We're swimming around in that pool. We're boiling ourselves in this soup, this relational soup, because these 11 things that I'm going to mention here in the text, every one of us is way too familiar with and doing very little to stop it or deal with it. And it's destroying what Christ is doing in us. It's destroying community. It's destroying the church. Secondly, it's a denial of the source of true life. Life is not found in pleasing people. Life is not found in fearing people. Life is not found in using people. Life is not found there. Although many of us are preset to approach other people that way, Fearing people, using people, uh, abusing people. Thirdly, it's the denial of the beauty that God intends to display and transmit through His people. These sins that He's challenging these believers about is a cancer to the church. It destroys the body of Christ. Therefore, He gives us some very strong language. And in the text, He says three things. He says the same thing in three different ways. And if if you'll notice the text beginning in verse 5, he says, put to death. He says, um, secondly, in in verse 8, if you will look, he said, put them all away. And then in verse 9, he says, put off the old self with its practices. What does it mean to put to death? It means to kill. It means to kill continuously with urgent, decisive, immediate action. We went to Africa, and I didn't know anything about snakes, but I walked out the back door one day, and I saw a snake slithering across the yard. 
And I went out, and we had a snake hoe by the back door that was sharpened on a grinder. And so I go start chasing this snake, and he crawls up underneath my vehicle. And so, like a brave warrior, I took the hoe, put it under the vehicle, pulled the snake out. All of a sudden, with just one, I'm not exaggerating, just one swipe of the sharpened hoe, and I hit him right behind the neck and cut his head off. I say that to say, don't mess with me, okay? Just don't mess with me. Um, if you see me with a hoe in my hand, look out, okay? I picked him up. I walked up to the back door. The guy says, that's a puff adder. I was not about to let that snake crawl under the, the vehicle that I was going to be hauling my family around in. And I don't know what it was. I might have been a green snake, a garden snake, a black snake. I don't know what it was. Puff adders are pretty dangerous. Uh, me reaching under the car, pulling him out and dancing around him. I was about 20 years younger, so I danced a lot better then. I killed him, and I don't regret it because it could have killed me and done great damage to my family. Put to death. Some translations say mortify. It's where we get the word mortuary. <laughs> it's where we get the word mortuary. Why? Because you are alive, and this is dead, and brings more death. Kill sin, one old Puritan said, or sin will be killing you. Put to death. He says in verse 8, put them away. The word put them away, all of them is the same word that he uses for divorce. You, you, you sever that relationship once and for all. You don't leave it on retainer. You don't keep dabbling in it. It's over. It's done. Sever it. And he says, put off the old self. Remove, dislocate, kill the power, disconnect. This is serious. This is not a suggestion. This is not something that can be trifled with or dabbled in or de delayed. He's saying, do it now. Do it immediately. Do it decisively. You choose by an act of your will. You say, I can't help it. I can't help it. I can't help it. You choose by an act of your will, if you are in Christ, to stop it immediately or else he would not say, put this off. You're in Christ. Life is in Christ. These are things of the earth. These are things of death. Put these things of death off. Off because you already have life. And then he says in verse 6, get this, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Wrath is something that, that, that builds up and when it can't take anymore, it explodes, it ruptures. On account of these 11 sins, the wrath of God is coming. So you say, oh, I did that and I got away with it. I did that and nothing happened. I did that and I didn't get caught. I did that and nobody found out about it. I did that and it didn't impact my life. I did that and it didn't hurt me. I did that and got away with it. Wrath is building up. Wrath is building up. And wrath is going to at some point explode. When we look for life in what God calls death, we bring wrath on ourselves. And the text gives us these two prevalent sins that affect humanity and threaten community and the church and the body of Christ and the mission. Two sets of prevalent sins that affect the mission of God. Notice, notice if you will, the first set. Look at it. And, and he lists this because these sins given first are culturally accepted sins in a Greek culture, just like they are culturally accepted sins in American culture. Notice, he says, put to death therefore what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Kill it. If you don't kill these, they will kill you. If you don't kill these, they will kill your relationship with your family. If you don't kill these, they will kill your relationship with the body of Christ. Kill them now. They're acceptable. It's okay for presidents. It's okay for governors. It's okay for preachers. Therefore, we think it's okay for us. But the text of Scripture is saying these are death. These are not life. You are going to these things and they are telling you this is life. This feels like life. This is death. Christ is life. 
This is earthly. This is going to destroy you. So there are these culturally acceptable sins in Greek culture that are quite frankly so stinking popular. But he gives us another set. And and the second set of sins are things that we can skillfully hide beneath the surface that can be running rampant even while we're smiling or sitting in church or going on vacation with our family or talking to a customer. These are deceptive and relationally destructive sins that are rampant in our lives. Look at them, if you will. But now you must put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, uh, obscene talk from your mouth. And, and I think he adds this little phrase, do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices. I think when he's talking about lying, certainly lying in general, but he's also saying don't go into the community of faith and act like you've put these things off when you haven't. Don't, don't, go, don't go lying. And, and this is, in essence, folks, why we're saying today that, that life is found in community. It's when we get together with people in the body of Christ and we're able to come to them and say, Hey, brother, I know life is in Christ, but I want to tell you that I'm struggling with things of the earth. Will you help me? Will you pray for me? Will you hold me accountable? Will you remind me of where life is found? He says in verse 7, you walked in these. These were your way of life. You were living in them. They were your life. You were looking for life in them. They were your source of life. These things made you feel alive. You were looking for life in the graveyard. You were looking for life in death. You were looking for life in things of the earth and not in Christ. And they're so different. They're so different. They are relationship-destroying, community-destroying Sins. Now watch this. Sin's first act is to destroy intimacy, is to destroy belonging, is to destroy community, is to inflict us with relational violence. If you will, go to Genesis 3. You don't have to turn there, but you see what happened. There are these two people that were perfectly in love. In Genesis 2.24, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they too shall become one flesh. In Genesis 2.25, and they were naked and unashamed. There was this perfect completely transparent relationship where they were as close as any two human beings could possibly be. But in Genesis chapter 3, they're blaming each other. They're hating each other. They're complaining about each other. It's the woman you gave me. And then you go to Genesis chapter 4, and you've got, I believe they're twin boys, Cain and Abel, because they only knew each other once, it says, and two kids were born. I may be wrong about that. It doesn't matter. I don't want to split hairs over it or argue about it. And don't call me a liberal because I think that or disagree with you. But it, twin brothers coming out of the same womb, I don't know what it's like for you when your kids don't get along. But, but my oldest kid's 37 and my youngest kid, I guess, is 29. And, man, I don't even like it when they say something that's out of the way of each other on, text, on the family text. And they're just joking. I'm like, why are you joking with each other? Are you going to hurt each other's feelings? I don't, I don't like it. And you've got Adam and Eve watching Cain and Abel kill each other. This relational violence now is passed on to us and through us. Here's the thing that we need to see this morning. None of us can put on Christ and put on death and put away and put off alone. That's what, we don't, that's what we as Americans don't get about the Bible. That's what we as Americans don't get about Christianity. That's what we as Americans don't get about church. We're like, it's my own personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and I can do it by myself. And I'm here to tell you that that is absolutely not true. I, I'm here to tell you this morning, that none of us can put on Christ, and none of us can put to death, and none of us can put away, and none of us can put off alone. When we are alone and unaccountable and left to ourselves on this earth without accountability and nurture and life-giving relationships, we gravitate toward all of these and not only don't experience victory and not only don't put them to death, but we also figure out how to hide them very well. That's a good place to go.
when we are seeking to isolate, we are desiring to immerse ourselves in that which is earthly. Hiding in relational violence and not giving and receiving spiritual life from community of faith together is the beginning of the end of us. Connected life and biblical gospel-centered community is a matter of life and death. That's why, that's, why we, that's why we have the gathering. That's why we have life groups. You say, oh, my life group's boring. Well, I don't like what's going on in my life group. Um, can, I tell you something? can I tell you something that's happened when, get, when believers gather? Grace is poured out. You, you may not like your life group leader. You may not like the, the way the questions are asked. You may not like anything about it. But folks, can I tell you something? Grace is poured out. If you would take the time to get in a DNA and spend enough time with people to get to know them and start doing life together, what you're going to find out is life is poured out. And, and you're going to be challenged. You're going to be challenged for Christ to be your life. And you're going to be challenged to put off. You're going to be challenged to put away. You're going to be challenged to kill, to destroy these things that are destroying you and your family. Our greatest need is for relationship with God and consequently and at the same time and necessarily with each other. We cannot have a relationship with God or each other if we're seeking life and death on this earth from the things that are on the earth. Life is found in Christ alone. And I love what the way Paul concludes this, this section. He says, he says, here, there is not Greek and Jew. By the way, he's talking directly to what's going on in our culture. Our culture. In, in this community, we, we don't have a, a Sunday school class for the people from North Carolina and a Sunday school class for the people from Georgia or from Texas, if you're from Texas. I know you want a Sunday school class for the people from Texas, right? It's, it's always better and bigger and more wonderful in Texas. God bless you. You've never been to North Carolina. Amen. He, he, just, he just lays it out. It's not about our national identity. It's not about our racial identity. Would you please stop letting the world force that junk on the church? Would you please stop falling for all of that? Because it's about Christ. There is not Greek and Jew. If you want to focus on that, you're going to end up in relational violence. There is not circumcised and uncircumcised. If you want to focus on that, you're going to end up in relational violence. It's not about the barbarians and the Scythians or the slave or the free and them resenting each other and hating each other and despising each other and using each other. None of that is, is for this body. None of that is for those who are in Christ. We put those things off, and Christ is our life. Christ is all and in all. So then the third thing we see in the text is this. The first thing is life can only be found in Christ. Secondly, we cannot find life in anything on this earth. And he Folks, he's nailed us to the wall with 11 things, and those things are right where we're living. They're right where we're living. Thirdly, life can only be nurtured in community. Let me cover it quickly. Life can only be nurtured in community, verses 12 to 17. We've read that. What, what is he saying? Life in Christ can only be nurtured in and among people who have Christ in them. People who have the life of Christ in them, must per pursue connection to and belonging to and doing life with other people who have Christ in them. And to do otherwise is at best sin and at worst an indication of lostness. Some people would say a Christian without connection to the body of Christ, a Christian without connection to church is no Christian at all.
the very first thing that, that people do when they're looking for life on earth and not in heaven is to withdraw from church, is to withdraw from life group, is to withdraw from DNA, is to withdraw from connection to other believers. That's why Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 10 that we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, that we should encourage one another to continue to be together because Christ is our life. And when we are together, life is flowing from us because the Spirit lives in us and fruit is flowing between us as we relate. But when we're not connected together, we're left to ourselves and we're going to be tempted to try to find life on the earth. Life can only be nurtured in community. If Christ is in you, you need to be around other believers in intentional community so that the fruit of the Spirit can flow out of you into them and the fruit of the Spirit can flow out of them into you. That is the life of Christ. Only the whole family can create a whole disciple. And if you want to be everything that you're supposed to be in Christ, and if you want to experience the life that he has for you, then you need to be in community. No, notice what happens. And, and here's, here's the catchphrase for today. Community is how we live together. When we are in community, verses 12 to 17, number one, something happens in our heart. Look at verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. When we are in community, something happens in our heart. What happens in our heart? The fruit of the Spirit grows and matures and is unleashed in us. Secondly, something happens in our relationships. These are, these are um, uh, uh, contrary to the world relationships. I'm sorry. Things just don't fire as quickly as they used to. Okay. Bearing with one another. Bearing with one another. You got a complaint? Forgive. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. What does that mean? That means that we're a community that can bear the sins of each other. We're not a community of a bunch of self-righteous people who walk in like we don't have any sin. We walk in and, and we're a, a confessing community. We're confessing Christ and we're confessing those things that are between us and Him and us in community. And we're saying, brothers, this is what's going on in my life. We're not going to lie about it. And there's going to be this community where we're bearing one another, where we're lifting up the weight of one another. When someone is weak, we're going to lift them up. We're going to be strong for them. We're going to challenge them. We're going to challenge them to remind them of the forgiveness of Christ, of the finished work of Jesus Christ, of Christ who is seated, finished work, of Christ who is at the right hand in authority, of Christ who has a throne of grace. And he says, come to the throne of grace. We're going to remind them of that. Something happens in our relationships. Our relationships are redemptive and gracious. There's forgiveness. And we point people to the forgiveness of Christ. There is, there is brokenness that is repaired. There are wounds that are healed. Something is different about our relationships. Thirdly, something happens in our church and in our community. Look at verse 14, if you will. And above all these, put on love. Put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Wow. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body. Imagine the power. Imagine the joy. Just, just imagine. Imagine walking in and... The peace of God is ruling in my heart and the peace of God is ruling in your heart. And we walk into that community and we walk into those relationships. Those things dominate the community. Imagine that. To which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another, this is happening between us in all wisdom and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness, thanks, thankfulness in your heart to God. That's, we're coming together and we sing. You can sing in your home. What are, what are we singing for? I want to just show you what a great voice I got. Or I got a terrible voice I'm not going to sing. We're singing to one another. There's something, there's some, there is grace released when the people of God come together and sing praises to Him. There is an outpouring of grace 
grace that you cannot find in any other place. When we are sitting under the word and saying, give me, give me the word, give me more of the word, let the word of God move in my heart, let the word of God change me, let the word of God admonish me, let the word of God dwell in me richly, and, and then, then we're going to come and we're going to sing, we're going to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God, something happens in our church, in our community, in this body of believers. And then finally, something happens in our city. Verse 17, And whatever you do in word or deed, when you walk out of here today, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. You walk out of this place today into community because you've been transformed in your interior world and you're finding your life in Christ. You've been challenged not to find life in things that are death. You put these things off because you've been in community. You've been with other believers. You've taken time to do life with them. Community is how we live together and we at South Point are in community. You found some cards on your seat this morning. I don't know how many people are in life group and I don't know how many people are in DNA. The, the, we, don't, we don't do everything right here. Folks, we don't do everything right. We ain't got it figured out. We're just trying to provide a, a framework for us as believers to do what this text says. And the framework that we have is pr primarily our life groups and our DNA. If you're already in a life group, please fill out that card. If you're already in a DNA, please fill out that card. If you're interested in a life group, if you're interested in DNA, please fill out that card. You can just leave it in your seat. That'll be fine. But, but we want you to get involved in community. You can get involved in community through serve teams. We need people to help with kids. Life, life flows when we serve others. We need help in the nurseries. We need help in student ministry. We gather for prayer on Wednesday morning at 6.30 if anybody's free for about 30 minutes to come and pray with us. Life is flowing there is nurture, leading, leadership development with Preaching Lab and so many other different things. Uh, so, so I just want to challenge you to get involved in the life of this community. We do life together in community at South Point. And are you involved in the life of this community? Because Christ is our life if we are in Christ. And if we are in Christ, we need to be in community with people that are in Christ. And it is in that environment, it is in that context that we experience spiritual health.